Amen. Good morning. It's good to see everybody. We're extremely glad you're here. We want you to feel comfortable. We want you to feel at home. But most of all, my goodness, we want you to feel Jesus. I said my goodness because like 20 kids just left. Wow. It's good to see everybody. Uh, before I get started today, I want to remind you of something that's, or bring to your attention something that starts next Sunday. Next Sunday and the following three Sundays after that, uh, we are having our Grow Track class one, two, three, and four. And if you have not, if this is your church and you haven't been through a Grow Track class after service, see myself, see Pastor Andrew, see my wife Tawana or Laura or somebody that you know has been here for a while. And we will point you in the right direction and tell you what you need to do. Because this is, is basically coming from coming to this church to being assimilated into the four weeks are about our church, about finding freedom, about finding your God-given purpose, and about putting that to work in the kingdom of God. So those four things are essential to you as a believer, as a member of this body. So we want you to get involved. We want you to find out who God has designed you to be because that's a big deal. You'll never find true fulfillment like you'll find when you know exactly why God created you and what you're supposed to do with that. And these four weeks are designed around that, and you will leave week three, I promise. I love week three because at some point in that week, somebody in the classroom is going, really? This is amazing. It's that cool. So you want to do this. It's four consecutive Sundays following service upstairs. Uh, We'll have a snack, a bottle of water, so you won't die of hunger before you get to lunch. Um, because that's how we're wired to eat immediately after service, right? I am. Who's thinking about food right now? Thank you for being honest. Awesome. It's good to have our guests with us today. Uh, We're extremely glad you're here, and I don't normally do this, but I'm going to give a shout-out to uh, our girl Cindy that's here from, from California because she was one of our girls back when I was a lot younger, the more thin and less gray. She was one of our original kids in our youth group, so we're, Cindy, we're glad you're here today, and can't wait to see you after service. So this, this uh, series has really kind of gotten in our business a little bit, hasn't it? When we talk about trying to follow Jesus in a selfie-centered world when everything is about us, when everything is catered to us, and everything is, is about having it our way like Burger King advertises, and, and we really fall into that trap about everything being about our comfort and what we want. Does anybody know that this past Wednesday, it's, it's, I promise God just shows up and in, in, in stuff. Two weeks ago, I don't know whose phone it was, don't care, but I was talking about our phones and how they grab our attention. And somebody's phone rang right then. God help me. That was good. Like, seriously, God helped me with an illustrated point right there. So that was a good thing. And then this past Wednesday was National Selfie Day. Did anybody take a selfie for National Selfie Day? Come on. Anybody? You're not going to lie in church, are you? Who knew that it was National Selfie Day on Wednesday? One of you, two of you, a few. Okay. I got some fingers pointing that somebody don't want to be honest. National Selfie Day. And this only further proves the fact that we need something like this to, to kind of check us and to, and to let us know what's really important. And today we're going to talk about resurre- resurrecting compassion. Resurrecting compassion is, is a big deal. Um, and we're going to answer a, a couple of questions. Number one is how might social media and, te- and technology propel a spirit of compassion? But then how might social media hinder compassion? That's where we're going. So social media has an amazing ability to raise 
awareness. Who remembers the ALS ice bucket challenge? Man, we put a line of, of leadership in the front yard during VBS, and we did the ice bucket challenge, and it was cold. I had a, a friend in a different state who had access to a tractor, and it was a backhoe and a front-end loader. Who, who knows what that is? Something with a big bucket on the front about this wide, and it holds hundreds of gallons of fluid or liquid or something. And they put cold water in this bucket and raised it up really high and dumped it over them. Well, y'all are just stupid. But that went where it went and how quickly it went and to the magnitude it went just simply because of social media. And the whole thing was you're supposed to donate money. I guarantee there are people doing that and, and without doing the cause and giving money because they wanted to be a part of what was happening on social media. So social media has this, this knack for raising awareness. I'm, I'm, if you don't know by now, one of our worship team, uh, she's 18, Megan, has been diagnosed last week with B-cell lymphoma. Does everybody know that? She's, she's really sick, and she's in the hospital, and, and so, social media has gone crazy, and there are literally thousands and thousands of people praying for that girl and supporting that family. Why? Because social media is that big. It, it raises awareness. The thing with social media is it tends to fade quickly. We used to live in a weekly news cycle back when I was a kid, a long time ago. And then up through the 80s and 90s and even the early 2000s, it was a 24-hour news cycle. But now sometimes it's a 6- or 12-hour news cycle. Things are moving that quickly. And, and causes and reasons to do things fade quickly. And, and that's one of, of the detractors because there's so much out there that things can, can fade away quickly. The University of Michigan did this time. I'm going to breeze through this. 14,000 college students. They, they, they studied from 1979 to 2009. It's a 30-year span. And in those 30 years, they, they asked certain questions, which I'll cover in a minute. But they found out that in that 30-year span that we cared about each other, we had less compassion for each other by a margin of 40%. That's a big deal. So in a 30-year span, we cared, and, and that was really before social media hit its stride. 2009, yeah, we were into it, but not like we are right now. 40% drop in, in how we care. Here are some of the sample questions. I try to understand my friends by looking at things through their perspective. Drastic drop. I often have tender, concerned feelings about people less fortunate than me. Sometimes we just try to block that out. Fewer people call themselves soft-hearted than they used to, and others' misfortune doesn't bother us like it used to. That's a 40% drop across the board and things like that. The question is, why are we caring less? Experts agree that increased social media use causes us to care less. So why, when we're more aware, because we see more, are we caring less? I'm really glad you want to know that. I'm going to give you three, re three reasons why. Number one is we're obsessed with us. <laughs> Just pin drop dead quiet. We are obsessed with us. I just said we had National Selfie Day. Think about that word. It's called a selfie. It's not a Yui. It's not a Themi. It's... Not an ussy. 
It is a selfie. So when we take selfies, and I've taken selfies, I'll probably take more. When we do that, it's about us at that moment. Our setting, our feelings, our emotions. Is the lighting right? Is the phone at the right angle? Is it my good side? Are, are, is my expression exactly like I want it to be? Are my lips pursed perfectly? And then once we take the selfie and we publish the selfie, it's still about us because we go back and see who liked the selfie. We're obsessed with us. Who has never taken a selfie before? Two, three, four, five. Five people in the room have never taken a selfie before. Just as a little aside, I'm going to tell you about the different kinds of selfies. You have the duck face selfie. You have the me and my bestie selfie. You have the I'm kissing my, my, my main person somewhere cool selfie. You have the me and my pet selfie. You have the great seats at the game selfie. You have the me and my food selfie. Bet you wish you were eating this. Uh, me before coffee selfie. The new haircut selfie. The new hairdo selfie. You get the picture. We're sharing something about us that draws attention to us. Because it's all about 80% of what we do is all about us. Where I am, what I'm doing, and who likes where I am and what I'm doing. It's all simply about me. And, and the effect is this. We're constantly looking at stuff about ourselves. And there's this, this chemical called dopamine being re- re- released in our system. And that's, that, that fuels addiction. And we become addicted to ourselves. And we become addicted to the feeling that we get when somebody likes the post or shares the post or comments or does a ha-ha or, or one of those things. We're training our brain to be more self-centered than less. Number two, we care less because overwhelming exposure desensitizes us. The more pain we see, the harder it is to care. I was on YouTube one day, and this is gross. This is nasty. But I, I saw this, this video of these people in Africa that have these sores on their toes. And, and the doctors actually take a scraper or a knife and they pop this. There's hundreds of them on one toe. And they pop this thing. And I know why, right? Because it popped up and it was there. So I, the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, that's terrible. But after about 45 seconds, I'm like, really? How does that work? How does that happen? And right, just immediately, I'm desensitized to what that person's feeling and what they're going through because of my exposure. Who remembers in the 80s when Freddy Krueger and Jason came out? I was like 12. The first Freddy movie, Nightmare on Elm Street, I was like 12 years old. And I watched it. My aunt let me watch this movie. And, and I was freaked out. I, my heart rate had to be 200 the whole movie. I was scared out of my mind. Because this dude was coming out of a mattress with this thing on his hand and was slashing people, and it just freaked me out. I was scarred, man. So then I started liking scary movies. So I watched Freddy. I watched Jason. I watched the zombies. I watched all that stuff. And by the fourth Freddy, it was funny. Because you knew what was going to happen. You knew there was going to be a girl that falls down somewhere and she's going to die because she can't, she's, or they're going to walk into a shed full of sharp utensils or something. 
It's, it's just foolish and crazy, but the first time I saw it, I was scared out of my mind. But the more I saw it, the more I became desensitized to it, and it wasn't a deal anymore. The same thing can happen to us when what, what we see on social media, when somebody posts something that's devastating to their life, and, and, and we don't really have the same reaction to it that we might have if we haven't seen so much of it. Does that make sense? So think about your timeline. You see a recipe for guacamole. We've got to bring food in there. And then you see something for a starving kid or, or to put a well somewhere in a country where there's not water. And then you see a crazy dog video or a crazy cat video. And then you see somebody lost their job or somebody has cancer. And then it's just so intermingled with so much stuff that we become desensitized to it. And we're just scroll, 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 scroll. And the words that we see and the, and the causes that we see may not be as big of a deal to us because we've seen so much. When we were having pre-service prayer this morning, Pastor Andrew made a comment. We're praying for Megan and praying for her family. He said, pray for Michael and Michelle because he said, unless you have a kid and could imagine that being your 18-year-old child laying in that bed, and, and, unless we're to a point where unless we frame things like that, Unless we take a moment to step back and say, what if that were me? What if that were my kid? What if that were, was my parent? What, what would, how would I feel? And if we put ourselves in somebody else's situation, the feelings come back. The gravity comes back. The seriousness comes back. And it's not so, oh, I can just scroll right through this. And it does something to us I'm going to talk about in a few minutes. Who's seen the gorilla dancing in, in the pool of water the last few days? That's hysterical, man. This big gorilla's in a pool of water, and he's just spinning in circles and dancing. It's awesome. But if you see that next to somebody who's, who's sick and asking for prayer, you might want to stay with the gorilla. I'm just being real. I'd rather see a dancing gorilla than hear about somebody's problem. Maybe I'm the only one. Number three, the lack of personal interaction makes it easier not to care. So you see a post, I lost my job. You may see it, you may like it, you may say praying for you, if you remember. Isn't that real? You see somebody, I lost my job, and I'm praying for you, and then you keep scrolling. Odds are, unless you stop what you're doing right that moment. And pray for that person right then, you're not going to. Because once you scroll past six, seven, eight, ten, a hundred more statuses, you're going to forget about it. And maybe you don't suffer from this problem, but I will open my email, open my browser with a specific goal in mind to pay a bill, to check on something, to, to do something I need to do. And 20 minutes later, realize I didn't do it. After my computer shut down. Why? Because I was bombarded with something else that caught my interest. The lack of personal interaction makes it easier not to care. If I see your status that you lost your job, or you see my status that, that I lost my job, I hope I don't lose my job, then you can say, I like it, I'm praying for you, good to go, God's got you. But if I'm sitting across from you, and we're having coffee or ice cream or something cool like that. 
and I tell you I lost my job, you're going to feel my emotion. And I tell you it's going to affect my kids, you're going to feel my emotion. I tell you it's going to affect this, you're going to feel my emotion. You might stop and pray with me right then. And I promise you that will make an impression because from, from last week, we connect through weakness and not strength. We connect through weakness and not strength. We need to understand as followers of Jesus Christ, God calls us to much more because compassion counts. Here are two things about compassion. The first one is true compassion demands action. True compassion demands action. The Greek word that compassion is translated from, I'm not going to try to pronounce it. It literally means to have the bowels yearn. I'm not going to try to describe that. To have your bowels yearn. It sounds really weird, so let's just frame it like this. It makes your guts do something weird. When you hear something and true compassion hits, it's a physical reaction that calls you to action. That something happens inside of you that you feel deep sympathy and that you know that because of what somebody's going through you have to do something to help them you have to do something to be there for them to help them through what they're going that's what true compassion is all about it moves us to action it's not just an emotion but it's an action true compassion demands action second thing about compassion is this to say you care but not to act is not to care at all. To say you care but not to do anything about it means you don't really care. It means you had an emotional reaction to something and that's, that's bad, but sorry, you know, seems to be you. To say you care but not to act is not to care at all. I'm scrolling through. They're sick. Click. They're having issues. Click. Oh, look, a squirrel. Or a dancing gorilla. Or a car, or a basketball game, or something. Caring, caring is not clicking. Caring is acting. Caring's not clicking, caring is acting and doing something about it. If you ever send me a click if you love Jesus... Let me just put a disclaimer out there. Any of those things that say click if you love Jesus, they're harvesting your information. It's not about click. It's not about if you love Jesus or not. It's about them attaching your information. If if you think I have to click to prove that I love Jesus, I don't care. I'm not going to click it ever. Ever. Caring is not clicking. Clicking is acting. It's about what you do, not about what you say. Caring isn't liking a post, but loving a person. Caring isn't like... This is going to get where we live. Caring isn't liking a post, but loving a person. It's being moved from your soul to get outside yourself to help somebody else. We've got some helpers in this church, and we come from a line of helpers, and there's a lot we've done. We're going to talk about it in a minute. But caring isn't liking a post. It's loving a person and doing something about it. It's being moved from your guts to help somebody else in need. 
If you look at the life of Jesus, every single time that the scripture says he was moved to compassion when it related to him, action follows every single time. He felt something. He did something. In Mark chapter 1, verse 40 and 41, it says, A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. Moved with compassion, Jesus healed him. He felt something, he did something. In Matthew 14, it says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Same thing, same result. True compassion demands action. We're following the leader. When Jesus was moved to compassion or moved by compassion, he did something to help somebody. And if we're following the leader, if we are a Christian, if we are a Christ follower, when we see a need, when we see something that, that we identify with that does something to our insides, we, we should be prompted to action. And living in a selfie-centered society, it doesn't lend itself to that. Our selfie-centered society and our Facebook world and Snapchat and Twitter and all those things, and I love them. They're awesome. But it, it, it moves us from compassion to clicking. And we think if we like something or, and put a comment, that's our duty. They know I'm praying for them. I've got their back. How about their meal? How about their sanity? How about their emotions? You can't reach through a computer and, and, and minister to somebody. That's face-to-face. That's one-on-one. That's you getting in your car and driving somewhere or however you get where you go. It's actually getting off your chair, out of your bed, and going and touching somebody's life. Amen. True compassion demands action. Here's the deal. The more I obsess over social media, the more I care about me. My selfie, my status, and my feelings. It's tragic that we live in a society that cares probably even more or less now than 40%. The more I obsess, this is the opposite of, of, of obsessing about me. The more I obsess about Jesus, the more I want to know him. The more I obsess about Jesus, the more I want to serve him. As I obsess more about Jesus, I want to get closer to him and the less I care about me. Suddenly, I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to take up my cross. I'm going to follow Jesus. And the closer I get to him, the less I care about me. And the less I care about me, the more I care about others. Why? Because I'm becoming more and more like him. Justification saves me. Sanctification makes me like him. And as, I, as my relationship with him matures and I'm sanctified in him, the more he takes from me and adds back to me and I'm more like him, the more I will act like him, the more I will be like him, and I will care more about people than about me. The Apostle Paul said, I must decrease so that he may increase. Think about this, and we're finally we're, we're getting to the DNA of, of who we are in this, this body, this local church and who were called to be. When was the last time that you gave an entire day to someone to serve them, to help them? Think about it for a few seconds. An entire day to somebody without expecting reciprocity. Nothing back. 
I'm just here to help you. I'm here to serve you. I'm here to give you my time. I'm here to help you. When's the last time you gave somebody a weekend? I said a few minutes ago, we've got some, some givers in here. We've got some servers in here, and God bless you. I hope he opens up the windows of heaven and just completely blows you away with what he does in your life. But more of us need to be like that. And if we follow the trend, of, there's a reason why Romans says not to be conformed to the pattern of the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so we can then prove what's the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. We have to get past the mentality and the mindset of society to get to be who God has designed and called us to be and to be the church that he wants us to be. It's not convenient. It's not easy. It's not even popular. Because there's a whole wing of consumer Christians. You're like, don't talk about that, Pastor. Who remembers A Bug's Life? I love Disney and, and, and Pixar. They come, they eat, they leave. Every year the grasshoppers come. They come, they eat, they leave. Do you know what consumer Christians do? They come, they eat, they leave. Every Sunday morning. You come, you eat, you leave, and it's all about you, making sure you feel good, making sure you're saved, making sure your conscience is appeased for one more week so you can go out and be stupid for six days. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Not sorry. <laughs> That's what consumer Christians... So consumer Christianity is make me comfortable, make me put me in my comfort zone so I can love Jesus and feel good, so I can be in the optimum situation possible, because it's all about me. It's time to suck it up, Buttercup. When we get outside of our selfie-centered mentality, stinking consumer Christianity selves and we get into the purpose I gotta be good when we get where When we get where he's taking us, our comfort doesn't matter. What we want. What we want is secondary to what he wants. His calling is the supreme thing in our life that drives us. Because the more I care about him and his purpose, the less I care about me. And as I decrease, he increases and amazing things happen in my life. So as we get into the DNA of who we are and what God, and what God has called us to be, you're going to notice a shift in you and the people around you. That instead of coming here to feel better, instead of coming here to hear good work, our worship team is stupid good. Instead of just coming here to enjoy them, we're, we're coming here to, to bring somebody to have their lives impacted by the message of hope, and that is Jesus Christ. Yes. 
and that is what we're called to do. I'm trying to hurry, but a couple things. What does this look like in real life? How does it apply? What's it, what's it going to be like? The first thing that I want to tell you is that compassion interrupts. When you look at Jesus and the people he touched, he was interrupted a lot. I read an instance earlier, but how about the woman that had the issue of blood? He was going through a crowd. He was traveling from point A to point B, and she fought through person after person after person just to touch his clothes. And when he felt virtue leave his body, he's like, whoa, stop. Interruption. Virtue just left my body. Who is it? And they, they had this whole conversation. But it's, it's, it, compassion is going to interrupt us. You get the point. In Mark 6, Jesus and his disciples, were, they were going to rest. A crowd shows up. He's moved with compassion, and he teaches them. In Mark chapter 2, he's teaching a crowd in a, in a crowded house. So imagine this room. Or let's, let's get out of here. Imagine we're in your living room, and Jesus is there. Okay, it's a good small group. <laughs> Jesus, is in, Jesus is in the small group he's teaching, and you're in the house, and there's so many people you can't fit anywhere. People in the, people in the yard, people in the driveway, sidewalk, and, and just wait to get in your house. They can't get in. These guys, these four friends, were bringing their paralyzed buddy to see Jesus because they knew he would heal him. And what did they do to get to Jesus? They climbed up on top of dude's house and tore the roof off. They tore the roof off and lowered the guy down through the ceiling. Now, granted, it wasn't like we have construction now. But they tore off the roof and lowered the guy straight down into the room. Talk about an interruption. Homeowner's insurance doesn't cover that. <laughs> so the interruption, Jesus was doing his thing. It was crowded. People were, were just sitting there absorbing what he was doing and what he was saying. And, and the, the, suddenly the roof is gone. The guy gets dropped down the room. That's an interruption. Us, we're calling 911. We're going to grab a gun or something. Because somebody is tearing up and messing up our house. God often works. Hear this. God often works through divine interruptions. He works through divine interruptions, but many times we miss them because we're so caught up into what's going on in our life. We're too, oh, that's cute. Like, ha, ha, ha. I'll be on social media today. I'm not, I'm not talking against social media. We use it. We utilize every part of what we can to get our message out and to connect with family and friends. We do. But we can't be so wrapped up in it and let it become who we are to the point where we can't hear what God is saying to us. We can't be so desensitized from our world around us by what we see there constantly barraged day after day that we don't feel compassion for somebody else and reach out and touch their lives. God works through divine interruptions. Something that interrupts or inconveniences you may be the divine interruption that will change somebody else's life. Notice I didn't say change your life. Hopefully your life has changed. But that could be the thing that changes. You could change someone's future by letting God interrupt what you're doing today. Let God's spirit speak to you and work through you because compassion interrupts. The second thing is compassion costs. It'll cost you something too. The story of the Good Samaritan in the Bible guy was laying bloody and broken, naked in a ditch. People passed him by. The good Samaritan crossed the road to him, 
put something on him, put him up on his donkey or camel, animal, took him to a hotel, put him in a room, fed him, had him cleaned up, told the innkeeper, I've got him, I'll pay for it when I come back through. He was interrupted. It was inconvenient. And it cost him. But he changed the guy's life. He saved his life by his kindness and his compassion. Sometimes we want drive-by compassion. We want it easy and convenient. And sometimes if we hit like and put a good enough post underneath it, we think, we're good to go. I feel better. But sometimes compassion is going to interrupt us to the point where it takes us out of our schedule and costs us something. I, I want to tell a story right now, but I don't want to embarrass somebody, but, so I won't. But compassion is going to cost you something. And it's going to interrupt what you're doing. But the end result is this. Compassion changes lives. You're here today because somebody had compassion for you. You're here today because somebody made sure. Maybe you've been going to church for a long time, and maybe you've been going since you were a kid. If you've been going to church when you or somebody took you to church when you were a kid, you're here. You know about Jesus because somebody had compassion for you and made sure you got to the house of God. If you're here and you've been invited by a friend recently, you're here because somebody had compassion for you and wanted to expose you to the truth and the love and, and the, the grace of God. You're here because somebody loved you and cares about you and wants you to experience what they have. Compassion changes lives and most importantly, yours and everybody else that you'll touch. Compassion is about you and me being moved by a physical and emotional reaction to something you see and having to act because of what it does inside of you. Let me ask you a question that's just for you. What moves you? What pushes that button in your gut that says, I, I've, got, I've got to do something? What's the cause? What would it take as you scroll through your timeline to get you to stop and say, I've got to stop right this moment and pray for this person or connect with them in some way? What would it be? Only you can do that. But God is calling each one of us to go there. Amen. Don't be conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you can be who God has called you to be and you can do what God has called you to do. Amen. I just paraphrased. Hope you're okay with that. But God is calling us today to action. He's not calling us to, to have a moment where we feel better about ourselves. We, we went to church today. He's calling us to, to a mindset that will change our lives. And by changing our lives, we're going to change the lives of tons of people around us because we're going to be different. Because we're going to have a different mindset. We're going to act different. We're actually going to reach out and touch people's lives instead of being this, this self-centered, self-sufficient person that doesn't really need anybody else. This church has helped so many people. So thousands of people. Deb has a spreadsheet of, of people that have come through Lifeline and through our church, and it's, it's over a 1,000 people that have been clothed and fed and, and helped get benefits to help improve their lives. And, and we have people in this church today because of 
compassion. Because people reached out and, and touched somebody else's life. All because somebody let compassion propel them to action. Let me ask you this. Who will be here in the future because of compassion? Who is going to be? We, we pray every Sunday morning. Every Sunday we start with prayer at 9 o'clock in the morning. And we always pray for empty seats because God has somebody's name on the seat that's empty next to you. So who is that person and who's going to touch them? Who's going to show them the love of Jesus? And who's going to be moved and propelled to action by compassion for them and for their soul? What's that going to look like? Our church, where we are right now, has been built around compassion, and we need to build it bigger around compassion. It doesn't matter how cool we are, how well we sing, how funny we are. It matters whose lives we're touching, and it matters the life change that we see in people. That's, what, that's where the rubber meets the road, and that's what we're called to do. Because I, I, I read scripture when, when, when we're standing before Jesus. He's going to say, what have you done to the least of these? Paraphrase it. How did you meet people's needs? Were you so concerned with just coming to church to feel better? Or, or leadership, were you just concerned about having cool church that you didn't touch people like you were supposed to? We can't let that happen. Struggles. We face following Jesus in a selfie-centered world. There's a lot of vision built around compassion. A lot of vision built around this thing to serve people. And it needs to move. We have a second school asking for backpack help this fall. A second school. We take food to a school every Friday for kids that don't have food. During the school year, a second school is asking, a third school is asking, but we don't have the resources to make it happen. That's compassion. So how are we going to improve on that? Why can't we have a food pantry? Why, why can't we have a, a community service center where people can come get counseling? They're like, what? That's, that's not church. Of course it is. That's what the church is called to do. It's, it's a novel idea. That it's, it's more than just coming to church on Sunday morning. <laughs> but why can't we be the tentacles that reach out into our community to help everybody's quality of life? And in the process, show them a Jesus who loves them and who died for them. And let their lives be transformed like ours have been. Is there a greater calling? But the struggles we face, is, 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 is they're real. And we're pushed more and more toward just caring about ourselves and, and, and not about seeing the real need. It, it becomes just a status and not a real person facing eviction or a real person losing a job or a real person dying or a real person's relationship going sideways and, and getting divorced. It, 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 when, we, when we look at it through the scope that we're supposed to look at it through, it's not just a status. It's a real live human being that needs, that needs somebody to connect with them and touch them and agree with them that things are going to be better. Right. It's compassion. It's about seeing something and being moved to action. Yeah. 